3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cramerica, and of course, welcome to San Francisco. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, this market just can't make up its mind. It goes down on the Chinese stock market getting hammered. Then it rallies on news that President Trump is dropping tariffs on aluminum and steel for Canada and Mexico. And then it gets slammed again on worries about Chinese retaliation. Maybe as soon as this weekend. Dow only losing 99 points. S&P backsliding 0.58%, but the Nasdaq plunging 1.04%. Hideous. Hey, so which move is telling the truth here? The rally or the sell-off? That decision, well, let's say it depends on how the game plan for next week plays out. You know what? I think this weekend will be the moment when we start hearing about the president forming a coalition against China. I call it a coalition of the willing, but he's perfectly fine with coercing the unwilling. And that's why I think he gave Europe and Japan a six-month stay of execution on the auto tariffs. And why he exempted Canada and Mexico from the steel and aluminum tariffs? So, when we come in on Monday, we're going to see the same dynamic we saw this week. The markets will punish companies that source in China and reward companies that don't. Because that's what the president is doing. It's particularly important because this is the week when most retailers report. So we will be listening closely to what they say about the trade war. Hey, will they eat the tariffs? Or will they be able to pass them on to the consumer? Or is it all bad? We get results from Home Depot on Tuesday. And I think the despot will actually have a bit of a downbeat story to tell. However, it won't be about tariffs. I think it's going to be about the weather. There's much too much rain this gardening season, and I bet that hurt them. I still believe Home Depot can tell a decent story about trade, but it won't matter if gardening season, their equivalent of Christmas, turns out to be a bit of a bust. Oh, next up, TJX and Nordstrom. Uh, These two retailers are going in very different directions. TJX sources its merchandise from other chains that are desperate to unload their excess inventory. Hey, by the way, that's how they give you such incredible bargains. I love the one in my building. I clean up when I go there. Nordstrom, the other hand, full line, full price department store. With a stock that just hit a 52-week low, down almost 20% year-to-date. And you know what? At these levels, it pays you a 4% yield. I think it may be too cheap to ignore. Remember, the Nordstrom family tried to take the whole darn thing private at 50 bucks a share last year. And now it's at 37. It seems compelling. But then again, Macy's did, too, and ended up having a tough week when it reported. Hey, maybe it's just too tough for mall-based department stores right now. Maybe that's the takeaway. Wednesday, we are from Home Depot rival Lowe's. This is a turnaround story, but the turn, measuremented by CEO Marvin Ellison, is still very much a work in progress. You know what? Wall Street loves Ellison, though. So if Lowe's gets hit either before or after the quarter, I'd be a buyer of the stock. Then there's Target. Did you know this stock is now 20 points off its high? That seems wrong. Yep, Target's come down so much, it now sports the 3.6% yield. I know it's battling both Walmart and Amazon which might be too much competition for any one company. But I think CEO Brian Cornell's doing a terrific job. You know what? I like the stock here. Thursday morning, we got one difficult one that I don't want you near, even though I think it's well-run. It's Best Buy. The company is just doing such a terrific job. But I'm betting they're going to have to talk about about tariffs and the whole darn conference call. Give the stock still up 30% for the year. I say, don't buy, don't buy. After the close, though, Splunk reports, and I expect great things. for This is a software analytics company that also does terrific cybersecurity, and it is worshipped out here. Worshipped! And I think it's fitting, because it's a cloud king, and CEO Doug Mert has repeatedly delivered on his promise. I like it a lot, especially if we get all this craziness from trade and this one goes down. No China exposure. I say thumbs up. Finally on Friday, there's Foot Locker. now this is another one i like down 13 bucks from its high Foot Locker sells shoes from nike adidas and a resurgent under armor the latter of which caught an upgrade just today from kramer fave retail analyst matthew boss over jp morgan the stock's been held back by trade war worries uh-uh i bet it will prove to be immune or at least more immune than people think bottom line Next week, once again, is all about trade and retail. If you can buy the retailers with the least amount of Chinese exposure, I think you might do well. And if the weather's great across the country this very weekend, maybe Home Depot and Lowe's will work for you. But this is a market that loves the cloud kings above all, which is why Splunk is my favorite stock to buy of all that you see on the board for next week. I want to take calls. I'm going to go to Mark in Oregon. Mark!
1: Yes, hi, greetings from the end of the Oregon Trail and home of the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, my question has to do with the gap, stock number GPS. They've been hit hard this week by trade right. tariffs and they're trading near a fifty two week low. They seem to have a plan in place to to spin off old navy and they bought Janie Jack. What what do you think?
3: You know what? I thought the split was good. I think I think that you know I you know I can tell you I think Warfac's doing a great job. Now here's my problem. There is no momentum to the stock. It's a 4% yielder. How about we wait till it goes to five and best of luck to the trailblazers. Kind of feels very trailblazer-like, frankly. All right, the Dow goes down. The president comes up with something people like, and then it goes up, and then there's something that doesn't, the president doesn't, we don't like, and it goes right back down. Man, buddy, tonight, it's our last night in San Francisco. Better do things big. The CEO of Pinterest joins me for the first time tonight. Stock is falling after earnings. Maybe it's a buying but Do not miss my exclusive. Then it doesn't stop there. I sat down with the CEO of NVIDIA. Enter its report. Find out if it's still game on. And I'm talking the next frontier in cybersecurity with the CEO of one of our all-time faves, Proofpoint. So stay with Kramer.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com
5: slash businessgoldcard.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com to start saving.
4: Making chips that power industries like automotive, robotics, and gaming... Is more than just a game. This year, Nvidia is beating the market. Can the swelling interest in eSports help this chip champion beat investor expectations?
3: I have a special treat for you tonight. Yesterday, we took a field trip to see the visionary Jensen Wong. He's the co-founder and CEO of NVIDIA at his headquarters, of course, designed by him in Santa Clara. NVIDIA is a leader in gaming, self-driving automation, robotics, and artificial intelligence. And Jensen is known as one of the most thoughtful and inspiring leaders in tech. We caught up with him after what I think might be the last slow quarter. And I expect NVIDIA to return to its status as one of the fastest growing companies in the world. Take a look. Jensen, we're here at headquarters. And I know you just had your first returning to growth quarter, but I care. Just tell us about this because it's emblematic of of who you are and what the company is.
1: This building is our headquarters, and you're sitting in a building that has 2,500 people inside. And it's designed with several principles. One, to enhance collaboration, to be smart about the usage of energy. And so we have a lot of direct sunlight that comes in. But as you know, where there's direct sunlight, there's a lot of heat, and so we use supercomputing technology and ray tracing technology to find the balance between everybody getting really proper lighting throughout the day and minimizing the amount of heat that we have to oh, move, remove.
3: Put this in the context of, of business. In other words, you like to think, and you like to see, you like to perceive. This is all about that. But it's for the customer. I don't. I'm trying to understand what Jensen sees and how that translates for what the shareholder gets.
1: Well, if we can make sure that we create the conditions by which amazing people do their life's work, they're gonna create amazing products that will help great customers, and there'll be prosperity, and there'll be joy. And so that's our, our our principles are actually very, very simple, to create the conditions by which amazing people could do their life's work. And that's our only single mission. And I try to carry out my day that way, and um, as a result, people work here for a very long time. Right. We attract amazing people. You yourself have been
3: CEO for 20...
1: 26 six years. years.
3: Yeah. And you've kept this going in a way that is always... we always hear that you are 10 years ahead of
1: everybody else. Well, CEOs have to live 10 years in the future. And the reason for that is because uh, if you don't, then you won't know what the strategies are. You can't look around the corners. You you know you just can't invent the future, develop the right strategies. Now our industry is moving so fast; it's hard to live 10 years in the future. Um, but we still have to try, and so we we try things, and sometimes it doesn't always work out, and we have to pivot and adapt. Um, but I'm surrounded by amazing people. We live 10 years in the future.
3: All right now, your company had uh, historically had the greatest growth of any. Uh, let's call it a semiconductor company, I know it's really mm-hmm. GPUs. Uh, then you hit a speed bump, mm-hmm. uh, of which you were very humble on your uh, conference calls, knowing that there were things that were unseeable. But now you're back to the growth path. How? Do, what were we going to
1: see from NVIDIA in the next two, three years that's going to continue the growth? We are back to growth. We have several growth drivers. Okay. Of course, we're a computer graphics company, and we invented 15 years ago the programmable shader. Uh, recently, we invented a brand-new technology called RTX, which basically simulates light. It was a technology that took about 15 years to create. It was invented some 35 years ago by one of our engineers, scientists. And when we introduced it, it was hard for people to understand, but now the entire industry has jumped on top of it. Microsoft with DXR, uh, Epic with Unreal Engine, has ray tracing, Unity, uh, Electronic Arts, the publisher, the great publisher has jumped on it. Uh, Pixar is using NVIDIA RTX to render films. Adobe, Autodesk. We basically have you the You power world, everybody. You know, so I think that, that it is now a foregone conclusion that ray tracing is going to define the next generation computer graphics, and so, so I'm very pleased with that. The second is artificial intelligence. It's, uh, you know, it started out in the cloud, and um, uh, everything we, we asked for, everything we search for, is now powered by artificial intelligence, right. but it's spilling out of the cloud really fast and moving out into the edge, okay. moving out into the industries. Uh, transportation warehouses smart retail stores you know so and on and they so all
3: forth. use you're the brains of these yeah, would you call it
1: we're the engine of artificial intelligence okay. we're the you know and the brains is basically the combination of the engine and the neural network algorithms that sit on top
3: of it and the car the robo robocars and of
1: course self-driving cars self-driving
3: cars you're that too okay now you have to do also do a real world you're you're trying to buy a company melanox i've always loved that company it's fantastic i now worry that the chinese will block you because of the tariff war that this is something that i the stock was down i'm starting to worry that perhaps you too will be caught up in something that's political you're not political
1: no and i think china's going to love it and the reason for that is is um, Uh, If you look at the way that that, uh, data centers were built in the past, they took a bunch of chips, and this is one of our state-of-the-art GPUs. This is like a supercomputer, and it's the size of a candy bar. You see that? Yeah. This is the chip that goes into uh, Google's Clouds, Amazon's cloud. Um, all of the uh, edge servers that people are talking about. like right, Chuck Robbins
3: tells us about Cisco earlier this week. Exactly.
1: This is the artificial intelligence engine this. that's going to sit this. in this little edge server. And this basically puts the entire cloud into this box. And in here are a bunch of NVIDIA GPUs. And Mellanox security networking and storage processor. So
3: no, it's the six billion is worth it for you more than anybody else because you guys fit so well together.
1: And because we are we have a common vision that in the future, um, the way that you design computers is really about connecting a large number of brains mm-hmm. together into one gigantic powerful brain. Okay. And that connection, that interconnect is what Mellanox does for a living. Okay. They are the they are the world's best at connecting high performance systems. Sure. And uh, we've been working with them for a long time. I know exactly what you mean. I love them too. Uh, great. And uh, I've great. loved them for a long time. And, and uh, when the opportunity to buy them came up, um, oh my gosh, I just jumped in with both no Now,
3: you. you're engineers and you're thoughtful. At the actual components, is, do you have to worry where it's sourced? Are you thinking about, like Chuck Robbins said the other day, listen, I, I can't source in China anymore. No. Do you have to find places where
1: you get the materials? We source largely uh, in Taiwan. Taiwan? Yeah, okay. and so almost everything that you're looking at here was sourced in Taiwan or system assembled in mm-hmm. Taiwan, and so the vast majority of our of our uh, technology and products are created in Taiwan. So okay. we're not affected largely by. Uh, by How the does tariffs?
3: someone like Jensen Wong have to deal with the fact that you have to have quarterly numbers, which we know from Andy Grove, we know your respect, thought it was the right time to define. But you, you have to give an outlook. You mm-hmm. didn't want to give an outlook on the, in, in this quarter. Colette Crest, mm-hmm. your fabulous CFO, mm-hmm. I it's think said, yes. listen, we're not going to do that. How do you, you were constrained by the spreadsheet in some mm-hmm. degree, but you're not going to let it define you. You didn't want to give guidance. Is it because the world's uncertain, or because maybe it's just not the way to, to think
1: about NVIDIA? Well, we've never given annual guidance before. Right. That's true. In fact, we never gave annual guidance until last quarter. And the reason why we did it was last quarter was so extraordinary. Right. We thought the market couldn't understand our business if we just gave one quarter guidance. And okay. so last quarter we gave a full year guidance along with that extraordinary quarter. Um, we're going to go back to providing quarterly guidance. Okay. It's the best way to do it. Right, And um, nobody is, is, is so so um, able to predict the future of uncertain worlds uh, As to provide an annual guidance and so we provide quarterly guidance. Now during the quarter, Q2, uh, there was a you know the, the 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 hyperscale spending pause lasted a little longer than people right. expected. Not just us but but basically the whole industry. The and
3: isn't so we done. think it's
1: going to continue into Q2, but here's the thing. I believe going forward, so we guided for Q2, but going right. forward there's no question in my mind that the spending pause will end. Several See, this reasons. Is really
3: important. You need to explain this to people because there are a lot of people who feel like, you know what, it's done. That's why mm-hmm. the build out was completed, no. as if it's finite, yeah. but it's a continuum.
1: You yeah. would know that. Yeah. All of the data centers, the hyperscalers bought a little bit too much last year. Okay. They bought too much in Q4. And so they're going to take a quarter or two to digest it. Looking forward, looking forward, there's no question in my mind, several dynamics are happening. One. The amount of computation that's gonna be done in the cloud because of artificial intelligence is growing, and it's right. growing right. incredibly fast, arguably exponentially. The second thing is Moore's law has really slowed. Yep. And the path More forward, legendary. that's right, the path forward is accelerated computing. This processor, right. this processor. What
3: you're saying, wait, in the conflict, you've said this now for three calls, that
1: Intel's core precept yeah.
3: is over.
1: Yeah, Moore's law has largely ended. And, and um, uh, the ability to squeeze out more performance out of CPUs yeah. is really going to slow what used to be a hundred times performance every ten years, right. has decreased down to essentially, you know, call it five to ten times every ten years. And so that rate of progress, if continues, we will have a deficit, a computing deficit on the planet, so great, and people's capex will have to keep on going up. Right. And so that's why people are so excited about NVIDIA's accelerated computing. We accelerate these algorithms, these AI algorithms, so fast it takes the pressure off of their data centers. So, I believe computation is going to continue to expand. It takes the heat off too. That's right, it takes the heat off. I believe that AI is going to continue to grow. And then the third part of our fundamental dynamics and our fundamental assumption is that um, artificial intelligence is not just for the cloud, but it's going to spill outside of the cloud all the way out to the edge and out to intelligent devices and this particular computer is what a robot taxi would be powered by and this is would be a server that you put under a 5g cell tower and this little tiny thing we call nano this is the world's smallest artificial intelligence computer I think we should end on that because this is pretty amazing it's pretty amazing right You amaze me. You amazed me with your You amaze me with your imagination, <laughs> with your curiosity, and what you've inspired. Thank you so much. I have a gift for you. What do you got? Well, you know, I know that you you named um, one of your one of the favorite my, my. people in your whole life uh, after Nvidia, and I, I was so I was so uh, so grateful That's, and so proud.
3: It used to be Everest. Uh,
1: this is now Everest's badge. <laughs> Everest Nvidia Kramer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> This uh, is fabulous. When you come that to in, when,
3: Everest, well, when right.
1: you come to Nvidia, you have oh, to check in. Is. But if you're with Everest, you're welcome all the time. Wow,
3: you're the best. Thank you so much. It's <laughs> Jesse Baum, founder, president, CEO of Nvidia NVDA. The growth is
6: back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs, as the owner of her own dog rescue. That is a second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does and she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs that's why the younger you are the more you need AARP learn more at aarp.org/skills
0: when you're hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
4: Last month, Pinterest received a hearty welcome to Wall Street. With the bell rung and the IPO done, should home gamers put a pin in this newly public stock, or can this social media striber create a delightful tableau in your portfolio?
3: I've spent months warning you about this IPO cycle. How so many of these companies were coming public with nosebleed valuations. Hey, come on, we know it. The bloom is off the rose. And even the hottest stocks in the class of 2019, they're starting to cool down. Take Pinterest, the online vision board turned social media platform. This stock wore right out of the gate and kept up its momentum for a couple of weeks, despite some speed bumps, until it reported last night. Pinterest stock got slammed because it spent a lot of money acquiring new customers at at an amazing rate. Something that I think makes perfect sense, given that the company's growing like a weed. I think the stock itself just got too hot. Not the company. I like this pullback as a buying opportunity and one of the best names to come public in this recent spate of deals. Earlier today, we sat down with Ben Silberman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Pinterest. I think you'll like this. Take a look. Ben. Being public is almost antithetical to what I think Pinterest is about because you have to be showy. You have to be promotional. How are you
5: dealing with the concept of being public versus who you guys are? Well, first, Jim, thanks just for having me on the show. Oh, sure. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it's definitely a new experience for us. We've been public for about a month now. Um, I've just been trying to keep us focused on uh, where we got started uh, and you know with the users that, that really enjoy the service. Um, A lot of people aren't familiar with Pinterest yet, but... Well, tell uh, us about it. Yeah, I mean, if you're not familiar with it, it's really a service that's... It's about giving you personal inspiration. It's a discovery platform. So people use it to get inspired uh, and plan things for their future. Everything from the meals they cook to the clothes they might want to wear. Sometimes people will redecorate a home. Um, And it's a service that's a little bit different than a lot of the other online services because it's really, it's about you. It's about your interests, your aspirations, your future. It's not as much about uh, keeping up with your friends or following celebrities or reading the news. So you're not showing off yourself, you're exploring. Yeah, it's really a personal service. Um, And I think that is something that's really needed these days. Um, I use social media. I have Instagram accounts, Facebook Uh, accounts. Uh, I have a lot of ways to keep up with my friends and family. There aren't that many services that are just about me, and what do I want to do, Um, and I feel like I can think without having other people kind of watching what I'm doing, what I might want to do in the future. I look at what
3: numbers came out, and the one that pops at me, but of course you're so humble, it's ridiculous, frankly, a healthy revenue growth of 54%. That's a spectacular revenue growth. How is that possible? That is an
5: amazing, amazing trajectory. Yeah, we were really happy with the growth this year. You know, I think what it comes down to is on Pinterest, there's a really close alignment Mm -hmm. between what users are there to do, you know, they're there to plan their future and get inspiration, and what businesses are there to do, um, because they're there to inspire new customers. And that alignment has been just really important as we build out advertising solutions. Uh, If you think about ads on the internet, often they're relevant, but they're not actually helping you do what you want to do. You don't need ads to talk to your friends. Uh, You don't need ads to watch the news or to watch a video. But if, for example, you're, you're, you're finding new clothes to wear or if you're redecorating your house, ads can actually be really, really helpful to turn that inspiration uh, into something in your real life.
3: I look at what you're doing as empowerment. Uh, there are a lot of people who have really good ideas, small, small, medium-sized business people on Etsy mm-hmm. and on Shopify, but we can't find them. To me, if you have 200 billion ideas, you're going to be able to find a way to get yourself
5: known. Small and medium-sized businesses are really your sweet spot. It's something that we're working really hard on. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of small medium-sized businesses, often the most interesting products, the most interesting services, and Pinterest offers them this great chance to reach people in a really authentic way. They don't have to think about, how do I interrupt their conversations with friends or how do I shout? They can really represent themselves through the things that they make. So inside the company, we're really working hard to build simple tools so small, medium-sized businesses can actually advertise easily on Pinterest, reach their customers, and then make sure they can measure those results. There's this weird thing, Ben. It's when I ask people about your company,
3: they always come back with this concept. Wall Street people, I'm sorry, not real people. <laughs> well,
5: simulations. <laughs> and they say, they're too nice. Can you be too nice? I, I don't know. You know, I've never really, I've never really thought about being nice and being a successful business as at odds with each other. It's kind of like a, if someone told me that that guy's too funny to be a good basketball player. Um, He's good. You know, <laughs> I think. I think that what is true about Pinterest and about the way that we run the company is we're really focused on that core idea of inspiration. So. Our brand, our service, it's all designed to make you feel like you can do things. It's not there to kind of cut you down. And I think the company inside and the culture and the way we try to project ourselves is meant to reflect that as well.
3: Well, I think that you make a really good pair with, with uh, Todd Morgenfeld, because in the—and I urge people, if they're going to buy the stock, please list, uh, listen to the earnings call. He talks about the metrics that, frankly, are what Wall Street will understand, new users, engagement, churn. All of those are terrific for you in the last year.
5: Yeah, we've been really excited. You know, users grew 22% um, this quarter, and uh, we're seeing growth both in the United States, but we're seeing a lot internationally. And that's been a big focus for us over the last couple of years. We think inspiration is something that everyone in the world can use, and so we've been working to bring that to more and more markets. It looks like I
3: like the way that you are getting more, I guess it would be called machine learning, but also more visual. Mm-hmm. So if I want to take a trip somewhere, it's entertaining to go to... Pinterest as opposed to just looking at something flat. You're not flat. How how can can you do that?
5: Well, you know, Pinterest has always been visual. I'm a visual person. I think most people find it easier to take in. I'm not an artist. Do you like to draw? I love, I love design. Um, when I was a kid, I loved arts and crafts. Both right. my parents are ophthalmologists. So I don't know, maybe that kind of idea it's of being right. visual is uh, kind of built into the company. Um, but you know, we've always thought that you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. You know, they, they say that for a reason. And so if you can show someone an idea, they don't have to have the specific vocabulary right. to describe what they're looking for. And when we talk to people, they often have a really clear sense of what they love, but they don't have the exact words to describe. And I know I'm that way, too. Like, I couldn't describe in just three keywords my favorite living room or the kinds of clothes I want. But if I see it, I can say, hey, I think that would be really cool. Well,
3: let's go talk about the onboard experience, because I actually find it pretty
5: stimulating, because you make me come up with five things that, I, that are important to me. How'd you come up with that? Well, we, we, we want to get started with something, right? So whenever you sign up for a new service, I always tell our team it's a little bit like a race. You know, people sign up for things all the time. How quickly can we show you something that's going to inspire you? Um, so. You say, hey, this is worth doing more. So we pick five things, and then we show you a set of pins, and then as soon as you see a pin that really engages with you, that's when our recommendation algorithms kick in. And we invest a lot inside the company into machine learning to say, if you like this, we think you're really likely to enjoy that as well. I mean, it, is, it does have that Amazon approach without being sterile. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit different because the way we do recommendations, it's all based on this idea of human collections. So when you use Pinterest, what we ask you to do is save things into these collections that we call pinboards. And that curation data set is very different from the data set that Amazon has, which is like people who bought this, bought that. Or that Google has, which is people that clicked on this link click on that link. Um, We call that the taste graph, and it really is about taste, it's about your personal preferences. And so the quality of the recommendations feel very different.
3: You're from Des Moines area. Would you ever do something that is like someone who does in Omaha,
5: Nebraska? Would you ever have uh, an annual meeting where people would get together in your hometown? You know, we've done meetups all over the country. Um, and actually, I went to Des Moines with my co-founder last year and just visited some pinners. but we've never done a big event. So right? it's something that maybe we should think about for the future. Yeah,
3: because you like to go to people's homes and learn, but people want to learn about you and they want to learn about each other. You would be the first company that I've seen that could, rep, could recreate what Warren Buffett's done. Uh, where, remember, he didn't do that for many years, but you could do it now because people would come and they'd be, they'd be entertained and they'd learn and they
5: would be ambassadors. We'll definitely think about it. I know early days, one of the most fun things we did is we did these informal meetups. And it was pretty cool because on Pinterest, you weren't there to make social connections. But it is true that when you get people together around a common hobby or around a common interest, they end up talking about things and learning things from each other. So we'll think about it for the future. Well, I mean, people, the site is a me site versus some of the other sites that I won't
3: even refer to right now, but they're them sites. Mm. How come me is
5: much more compelling right now? Because the them sites don't have the growth that you have. You no, know, I think that it's just been underserved historically. So obviously connecting with other people is a huge need. There are a ton of different ways that I can connect with my friends. There just been, haven't been that many services that are focused on your personal aspirations. So I don't think it's an either or. I think people naturally want to do both. But I think Pinterest is filling a hole that's been present in the market for a while.
3: Oh, well, I am a huge believer in revenue growth. I really, at this point in your life cycle, would not care as much about how much you spent to get the revenue growth. Were you surprised that people seemed to think that your spending was out of line in order to get revenue growth? And that's a misperception, isn't it? You need the revenue growth. That's a
5: sign of health. Yeah, I mean, we were really excited. Revenue grew. 54%. Um, and so we're definitely in the growth phase of our business. Right. We've tried to be very transparent and clear. And the reason that we think about being in the growth phase is we think we're really early on in our journey. We're early on here in the United States where we're working with retail and CPG companies, but we want to expand to small, medium-sized businesses. And we're super early uh, internationally where two-thirds of our users are. So we went from seven markets where ads can be bought to 13 markets uh, this quarter. But really, we're, we're just in the very, very first inning. We just hired folks. On the ground. Well,
3: if that's the case, it, it, there could be some tension. Uh, some people want you to make money. Uh, I don't. I want you to go to billion, then two billion, three billion. Uh, but I may be in the minority these days after what happened with Uber. Uh, how do you tell people, listen, making money right now is not our goal. What we want to do is be a dominant company worldwide.
5: Hmm. You know, I think that it's actually not that complicated. You know, we've tried to just be really clear. Uh, And if you listen to our earnings calls or um, if you talk to the analysts that were there on the roadshow, we tried to be really transparent about our plans. And then we're a new company, so people will learn that over time, Our approach will be to try to do what we say. So we're not trying to kind of set expectations artificially low and go above them. We're just trying to represent. Um, So there's this little daylight between what we think about inside the company uh, and the way that investors can make an educated decision on, you know, whether it's right for them.
3: I'm so glad you mentioned that
5: because when people saw the stock go down,
3: they thought that something had gone wrong. I looked at it as the thing that went wrong were people who expected you to do something other than what you said, which was that we're going to do what's in the S1,
5: which is the document maybe we can do a little bit better. I don't Know what people expected, but you're not playing the game. Well, we're trying to be transparent, and I think that the consistent thing you'll hear from me. Um, before this, after this, for the future, is that we really want to focus on the long term. And to us, the long term uh, is pretty straightforward. We want to build the best place to get inspiration, we want to build the best personalization, uh, the best uh, visual discovery tools, and then we want to make sure that if you see something you like, uh, we can actually help you make it into a reality. So if it's a product, you can go buy it. Uh, If it's a recipe, we can show you how to cook it. You can get reviews on how that recipe turned out. Uh, If it's a place, we can get you there eventually. And so that vision, I don't think Is going to change for many years to come and then we're going to do our best to pursue that uh, in the best way possible. I think it's great what you're doing it's also uh, humanity It's, it's kind of
3: what we're supposed to do you express you can design Uh, you can bring things to life, and I want to applaud what you've done because it's really empowered everyday people to do things that are far beyond what they thought they could accomplish. So that's Ben Silberman. He's co-founder and CEO of Pinterest, the symbols P-I-N-S. Listen, go look at their letter. Their shareholder letter explains everything, and they're delivering on everything they promised.
5: Thank you, Ben. Hey, thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
4: Defending data has been a bankable theme, and the need for cybersecurity will only grow greater. Is Proofpoint a safe way for investors to cash in on this burgeoning trend?
3: Before we fly back from San Francisco, we need to check into one of the most important trends in the world, and that's cybersecurity, which brings me to Proofpoint the cloud-based provider of people-centric security software. Notice it's people-centric, not infra. And then the stock has been on fire. It's up 43% year-to-date, although it's pulled back 12 bucks in reporting, what I thought was a really strong quarter, some thought it was noisy. I don't know. Is it ready to resume its march higher? Let's take a closer look with Gary Steele. He's the chairman and CEO of Proofpoint, To get a better sense of how this company's doing and where it's headed, Mr. Steele, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. All right, so Gary, you guys, in the time since we started talking, have evolved. I first thought she was like all right they're doing email but now you're doing cloud security and there's a particular kind of weakness in the cloud that I don't think people even realize that you guys are starting to cover
6: yeah the reality is attackers are targeting people and they've done it traditionally on email but it's expanding as more and more applications or workloads are running in the cloud that's where people are and that's where they can be targeted so we're excited we announced an acquisition last week called Meta Networks it gives us the ability to help uh, companies control the access of their employees and it fits naturally with this broader cloud strategy that we've been rolling out
3: All right, so let's say you
6: migrate to the cloud. Is is the moment of migration, is that a an a, a open-door point? It's a very important point where companies reconsider their security strategy because traditionally it was the perimeter that controlled everything Today there really isn't a perimeter as more and more of these apps and um, workloads end up in the cloud.
3: Who's doing the uh... Who's doing the, the dirty work right now? And are you seeing uh, our partners now, or I'd say erstwhile partners, China, involved in things that you didn't
6: see even six months ago? Well, I think that it's pretty clear that there's a lot going on globally. The geopolitical environment's very, very much at unrest. And when those times happen, you see a lot more global threat activity. And as a result of that, that bodes well for our business over time.
3: Yeah, unfortunately it does. Unfortunately, yeah.
6: Uh, You guys have been adamant on teaching
3: people how to be better themselves. What I find so interesting is you
6: say even one person leaving with a compromised password can take everybody down. Absolutely. And and one of the things that we liked about this new acquisition is that one compromised person can't bring the whole network down. Because you can really control the access for every single person. And that's a natural complement of how we think about securing the cloud. Now,
3: I happen to like Microsoft and what Satya Dell is doing Very, very much. He's he's done a great job. You guys have done a great job, not as necessarily their partners, but as someone who tries to take their software to the next level. How long can you do that before Microsoft says, "Okay, I like Gary, but enough is enough?
6: Well, I think that one of the key drivers for our business has been this broad migration to the cloud, and specifically to Office 365. And so we've been benefiting as organizations reconsider their on-premise strategy, think about the cloud, Office 365 is an important way for them to go. And they need additional security controls than what Microsoft's providing today, and we're helping those customers be successful in a Microsoft environment. Well,
3: who are your key partners? Who else are you working with?
6: you know broadly one of the philosophies we've had as a company is to have a strong ecosystem so to make it easier for customers to digest all that security infrastructure so it's everybody from an Okta which we announced a relationship in the fall we love those we're, guys and we're Todd super the excited, kid. He's very bright super excited about that relationship and relationships that we've had for a long time, like Palo Alto Networks, where we've basically done the technical integration between our products to make it out of the box easy for our customers.
3: Can you guys do uh, something similar with Google Mail that you do with Microsoft Mail?
6: And we do. We have many customers running on the broader G Suite, and we support that just like we support Office 365. Okay,
3: just tell me a little bit more about what you just say, I know, without naming any companies. What's been going on right now that people should be guarding themselves against? Because you periodically have told us uh, a lot
6: of things that that just the common sense things, don't click on this, don't click on that. Sure. So the one big theme, and we've been seeing it for a while now, it's been almost a year, but it's really important, is threat actors taking over people's email accounts so think about someone owning your email account being able to send an email as jim kramer that has phenomenal implications and so we're helping companies today identify that remediate those kinds of events and be safer as they move to office 365 or google for that matter
3: now is that something that a state-sponsored terrorist would do i mean something like china or anybody
6: so the primary threat actor that we're seeing there is a a threat actor group out of west africa but we but we do see we, we do see it broadly used and employed by a range of threat actors. It, well, quickest way to stop it? If you're to protect yourself, change password, what do you do? Um, two-factor authentication is a good start. And then we can obviously help detect and remediate oh that's fantastic and octa can do that i love those guys they're very you and you have great partners
3: those are we do palo alto those are very bright people too all right that's gary Steele, chairman ceo of fruit point we've been behind this all the way and we're just sticking with it it's pfpt a great stock to buy in, in a lot of turmoil man money's back after the break thanks so much From Raptors. one of them seen the stock of to buy by buy Just be there. know the course stock question, and playing the tip. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy! the lightning round, let's go to Mark in California.
2: Mark! Hey, Jim from sunny San Diego.
6: Hey, um, I wanted to ask you about Arima Farm Pharmaceuticals that recently out.
3: We like Arena. 6. We've liked it. I know it's speculative. It's okay for spec as long as you're willing to understand that. This is not Merck, okay? Let's go to Derek in Illinois. Derek! Booyah, Jim. Derek from Booyah. Chicago. How you doing? I'm doing well there. How about you, partner? I'm do I'm doing well, my man. I wanna get a little interactive with you tonight. I see okay. talk to me about them. Oh my, I thought that was an amazing quarter. I think that company is so inexpensive. I frankly don't even understand it. I say it's a buy by buy. Let's go to Adrian in Texas. Adrian. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. Y E X T. 29. I like Y E X T. I mean, we've had them on a bunch of times. I think they're terrific guys. I think the stock is a buy. Let's go to. No, I'm not done. Come on. And. a if we're just getting started. Let's go to Murray in Florida, Murray. Yeah. Murray, you're yes, on. Yes, that's, that's me, Jim. Yeah, Jim, I have, I, a, gotcha. I have a position. I have a position in uh, in DeVita. Wow, and, you got it. you just got your wow that's whoa that one is not uh, why don't you just go into Abbott labs i mean honestly david is way too bold for me i don't know let it rally a little because it's like like a 52 week low but i no we don't want david we don't want the Vita. i need to go to michael in new york michael
1: hi jim thank you for taking my call you're the show. Quite welcome
3: thank you what's up
1: my question is on the Kimworth's
3: company, ticker symbol is CC. No, I didn't the even has- from the day it was spun off, I didn't like it. It had a nice little rally to come back down. I don't like it. Commodity-oriented, not for me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: A week ago, you could credibly make the argument that President Trump was blowing his trade war with China by trying to go it alone, when our other trading partners have just as much reason to crack down on the PRC. But today, maybe the White House has taken the criticism to heart. That's why Trump's postponing his tariffs on imported cars for six months. He's trying to coax Germany and Japan into getting tough on China with him. That's why today we learned that Trump's giving exemptions to Canada and Mexico on those steel and aluminum tariffs. So despite what you still hear from the punditocracy, we may not be going alone in the trade war anymore. The president is trying to assemble a coalition of the willing against China's unfair practices. And it just might work, even if some are more willing than others. Now, why does this matter to you? Because the trade war has gone in a direction that very few people saw coming, especially not the Chinese Communist Party. See, I think Trump is perfectly willing to roll back the clock to 2000, before Congress approved permanent normal trade relations with China, perhaps 1979, when Jimmy Carter officially acknowledged the People's Republic, or even 1971, when Nixon ended our embargo. Until then, we had no commerce whatsoever with Communist China. These days, we do a ton of business with China, No, in very unfavorable terms. And Trump is not a happy camper. The hardliners in the administration regard the PRC as a major geopolitical rival, which it is. The free traders in the White House want a fundamental restructuring of the Chinese economy to open it up to foreign competition. The hardliners, some of them, I think they want to see regime change. Failing that, they're happy to roll things back to 1971. A truly astonishing development. A containment policy worthy of the old Soviet Union. We always hear that the Chinese government has a 100-year plan. But I don't think anyone in their leadership believed that we would elect a president who was willing, even eager, to cordon off China entirely to the detriment of some of our largest companies that historically ruled Washington's foreign policy. (laughs) And you know why? Trump has real contempt for his predecessors who negotiated with the Chinese. He thinks they were rubes at best, maybe pawns at worst. But we're now in a situation where the president of the United States can dictate terms to China— because we buy $500 billion worth of stuff from them every year. China, by contrast, has, I think, a weaker hand. Precisely because they never really opened up their economy to begin with. You could argue past presidents gave them enough rope to hang themselves. But for that to happen, you need a guy like Trump who's willing to be the hangman. Now, the real hardliners in the administration want to push China in a more democratic direction, or at least, again, destabilize it, so it can't challenge U.S. hegemony. Germany. You know what, I, I think maybe a little too extreme. You destabilize a country with a giant nuclear stockpile at your own peril. But at this point, it seems undeniable to me that Trump has the upper hand in these negotiations, and the PRC is, has no idea how to deal with the US president, who has a 50 year plan, a 50 year plan of his own. Roll back the clock 50 years to when we did no business whatsoever with China. See what happens. Well, that's not an ideal outcome necessarily for the stock market. Uh, uh, well, you should be ready for it. And the simple truth is, it will end up hurting us a lot less than we've been led to believe, even if it might not feel that way on days like today. Stick with Prager. Look, I know a trade war makes you uneasy, but remember, we had a trade war on Thursday, and it made people easy. Do not reach conclusions that make it so you want to leave there's too much good maybe just thinking from now on buy these really heavy dips and we're going to have some next week when these retailers report i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere i promise i'll find it just for you right here on mad money i'm Drew craver and i'll see you monday
2: this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses